One of my favorite souvenirs from my trip to the Holy Land last year is a small icon depicting Jesus' encounter with the person we normally call the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well in Sychar, a site we visited in the town now known as Nablus. As you may remember from the account of that um, uh, meeting in chapter 4 of John's Gospel, this was an unexpected, lively exchange, which my icon emphasizes, by showing our Lord and this alien woman looking each other right in the eye across the well and gesticulating with their hands pointed toward each other. They were having what diplomats call a frank discussion, in which the woman faced up to her past, how many husbands she had had, and so on, and heard the good news that the Messiah himself had come even to her, a Samaritan woman. There's a Samaritan again. We just heard about one last week. She went forth from the well as an agent of this good news of the Messiah coming. Now, I like to imagine the dialogue between Jesus and Mary of Bethany in today's gospel as a real exchange along these lines. Yes, Mary is portrayed as relatively passive, sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to what the teacher is saying. Nevertheless, it is safe to assume that real engagement was going on, that Mary was at least inwardly responding to what Jesus was revealing about himself and about the kingdom of God. The better part Mary was taking was the riskier part because she was opening herself up not only to the joys but also to the great challenges that come when we are presented with God's agenda and God's call, which may pull us away from what had been a different agenda of our own. Jesus has nothing here against Martha's kitchen activities. He approved of and enjoyed a hearty meal with his friends, and no doubt they had one that day. He was concerned, however, with the worry and distraction that kept Martha at that point from life-changing engagement with God through him. Many of us, in fact, choose mundane distractions over challenging engagement with God that might transform our lives. We, don't, we shy away from transformation. I do anyway. The Bible is full of often humorous examples of people trying to escape God, trying to escape involvement with God because of what it might cost them. Of course, Jonah is a favorite example. He was called to go east and preach to the Ninevites, did he go that way? No, he went the opposite direction to the sea and got swallowed by a big fish. And having thus gotten his attention, God sent him back the other way, and even then, he was reluctant. The prophet Amos, whom we heard today, got so involved with God that he proclaimed this difficult message to the Israelites in the 8th century before Christ. He must have known that this would get him in trouble, that following this call of God to be uh, a prophet, 
um, would displease people because he was telling them that God was upset with even their religious observances because they were acting unjustly toward their neighbors. He was saying things people didn't want to hear. And the highest authorities in Israel rebuked him. Um, and Amos, of course, kind of tries to say, well, I'm not really a prophet. Remember last week, he said, I'm no prophet, but a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. But we also read that God engaged uh, with Amos and said to him, go prophesy to my people Israel. So you see, involvement with God can turn our lives around and even get us in trouble. Okay, let's fast forward eight centuries. And uh, this same kind of dynamic happened with Mary of Nazareth, who said yes when God, through the angel Gabriel, told her that she had been chosen to conceive by the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Son of God. Can you imagine her reaction? Her life from that point was not her own. It was God's, to do with as God directed, even though a lot of it was mysterious to her. She had to wait and see how it would play out. But needless to say, that path was not easy for her. Peter and the other apostles also got drawn in big time, even though Jonah-like, they fled in the opposite direction at times, especially when Jesus went to the cross. They, they were going the other way. Who can forget that poignant moment at the end of John's gospel when the resurrected Christ commissioned Peter to feed his sheep and predicted that Peter would be taken where he did not wish to go? This, of course, mirrored what had happened as a result of Jesus' own engagement with his Father and with God's cause. Of course, it led to the cross which was followed stunningly by resurrection. And that's an important point. We'll, we'll get back to that. Now, are these folks the sort of company we choose to keep, Jesus and the saints? Is this the path we choose to follow, of that engagement and being God-directed rather than self-directed? Well, those of us who are baptized have already answered yes to those questions. Yet, of course, we don't always live that out. We often play the distracted Martha rather than the engaged Mary, partly to avoid facing the truth and listening to the voice of God, which may even have us go where we do not wish to go. If we truly engage with God, following the examples of Mary of Bethany and Mary of Nazareth and Amos and Peter and even Jesus himself, where will that take us? Well, we can't predict exactly. God, I've heard it said, is full of surprises. Among other things, however, this might lead us, among many other things, to stand for something that is both a Christian and an American principle, the equality of all people. Now, I could have chosen a lot of examples, but I think that's kind of a timely one one of God's many challenges to us to live up to. If we are honest with ourselves, we must admit that this goes against the grain, that we're not totally comfortable, at least I'm not, with equality. And I'll, I'll just pick on myself because, you know, um, it's a true confession, that I'm not comfortable always 
with equality should be I am theoretically but think about how we might feel uh, how I might feel when an immigrant who has just taken the oath of allegiance as an American citizen becomes just as fully American as I am with all the rights and responsibilities of it and of course the, a natural reaction is well wait a minute uh, I was born here and most of my immigrant ancestors came here before the revolution and then uh, harsher distinctions might come into play sadly whether consciously or not after all I represent elements in our society that were often dominant and privileged and I might resist the undermining of that hierarchy and the same dynamic of course can be true here in the church for example I might see myself as more Episcopalian and therefore better or even more Christian than someone who has just gotten off the boat so to speak and into the church true I must admit I'm not a cradle Episcopalian to my sorrow <laughs> but I was confirmed 41 years ago and my grandmother was an Episcopalian and I even remember using the 1928 prayer book so there you see it is a very human tendency to put people in these hierarchical categories and to see ourselves as superior in whatever ways to others but our crucified Lord urges us in a different direction toward a lot more humility the direction of seeing all as equal sisters and brothers regardless of our particular histories or circumstances we should remember the Lord's parable about the laborers in the vineyard it's in Matthew those who had been working in the fields for a short time were paid the same as those who had been working all day I mentioned that to a friend he said that's not fair <laughs> well Isaiah God says through Isaiah my thoughts are not your thoughts and nor your ways my ways like the prodigal prodigal son's brother we resent our father's generosity toward others but let's admit it at least many of us do when we truly engage with God embracing God's ways rather than our own we are probably in for a rude awakening or many rude awakenings and that's why uh, we often avoid it we want we welcome distraction we don't want to deal with painful transformation we realize that we might be in for a come down reminds me of that uh, character that played Queen Elizabeth in a drama a couple of decades ago uh, and and she has the Queen uh, saying that she she imagines uh, that her status will be reduced in the next life and we we also in addition to being in for a come down might be in for a huge challenge sometimes even putting our lives on the line take for example a young Episcopal seminarian in the 1960s named Jonathan Myrick Daniels God moved Daniels to go to the deep south and stand for civil rights after doing some very good work and loving many people there 
Daniels was shot and killed while standing peacefully trying to protect a young girl. He is now one of the church's martyrs, which means witnesses. He's one of the martyrs on our calendar, one of the ultimate witnesses to the truth of Christ. If we turn to Jesus and follow where he leads, there will be crosses in our future. Until the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, we will be on the front lines with the Lord in whatever forms that may take. In today's letter to the Colossians, St. Paul refers to this when, noting his own sufferings, he says that in his flesh he is completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. But at the same time, Paul tells us, the letter to the Romans, of his confidence that the sufferings of the present time in God's service are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. In other words, the resurrection promises triumph, promises victory, even as we're in the midst of fighting God's fight, even as we're in the midst of suffering. And how, so Paul knows this because he has encountered the Christ who was not only crucified, but raised from the dead. And that resurrection gives Paul hope in this God who in Christ has overcome all darkness. And as he said last, in last week's reading, God has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are safe. All appearances to the contrary, uh, notwithstanding. True glory is found, true life is found in following Christ in the way of the cross. I, um, I close with words uh, that point to this. They're actually the words to one of my favorite anthems. Holy is the true light and passing wonderful lending radiance to them that endured in the heat of the conflict. From Christ they inherit a home of unfading splendor, wherein they rejoice with gladness evermore. Alleluia.